Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Radicals in Conversation, a podcast from Pluto Press, one of the world's leading independent radical publishers. In just a few weeks' time, on the 25th of May, voters in the Republic of Ireland will go to the polls to decide whether or not to repeal the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. Introduced in 1983, this amendment has kept abortion illegal in Ireland in all but a very few cases. Now, 35 years later, Ireland's one of only two EU countries, along with Malta, in which having an abortion remains a criminal offence. But the campaign to repeal the Eighth is working hard to change this, organising all around the country and internationally. Here in London, in our studio today, we're very lucky to be joined by two people who've been involved in this important work. Maeve McDade, an activist with Alliance for Choice, and Lewis Kenny, a Dublin-based artist and activist. Also here from Pluto are myself, Chris Brown, and Emily Orford. So Maeve and Lewis, thanks both so much for taking the time out of your days to come on the show. Firstly, for those of our listeners who are hearing about this issue for the first time, or maybe don't know much about it at all, perhaps one of you could tell us a little bit more about the Eighth Amendment as it currently stands and what it means in sort of practical terms for someone wishing to terminate a pregnancy. Um, so although the Eighth Amendment was introduced in 1983, abortion was actually already illegal in Ireland. But what the Eighth Amendment created was a constitutional protection for the fetal right to life. And the wording of that said the equal right to life of the mother and the unborn. But what's not been clear and what hasn't been legislated is the equal right to life and as far as practical. So what this has meant is that although there are nuances there, the lack of statutory legislation has meant that doctors are too afraid to even consider following through that. And they also face um, criminal sentences if they do decide to go down the route of dealing with the termination. So it is the case where we have sadly had deaths uh, in Ireland as a result of the lack of legislation and protection for doctors who do see it as the right thing to do but um, their hands are tied by the law. In Ireland currently if you were to terminate a pregnancy you can face up to 14 years in prison. What circumstances, I mean I know there's a few circumstances theoretically in which abortion is permitted but what would those circumstances be? Um, again, those theoretical circumstances are an endanger to the person crying the pregnancy. But as we know with the terribly sad case of Savita Halapavanar, that actually it's not been implemented and women are dying. Um, and, you know, that case in 2012 definitely gave birth to a new generation of activists who said not in our name and no more. This is a woman who, if she had been in anywhere else um, in Great Britain, would have been given access to an abortion um, and wasn't, and sadly died after six days of bleeding and sepsis. Um, and it's that kind of thing where the law clearly isn't fit for purpose, and it's all good and well saying that in these very extreme circumstances it's there to protect you, but it's not, and we know that not to be the case. So the, the legislation that we have, I suppose, currently to offer women access to abortions in the case of the the immediate threat of the mother's life or in the case of fatal fetal abnormality. But um, there is a, still a lot of bureaucracy around that. So if you want to, I suppose, terminate that pregnancy for those reasons, it can take up to six independent consultations from six different doctors. And even then, they can then decide that it's not viable because if they make the wrong decision, they can be culpable. And actually what ends up happening is um, women and pregnant people from Ireland who do go to Great Britain and further field for terminations often have to do that at a much later date than um, anybody else would. So one in seven uh, Irish people who do come across the water for terminations have to do it at a much later stage than would have been ideal for them and for their safety and their health as well. Mm-hmm. 
And I think one thing that shocks a lot of people that hear about this is that pregnancies as a result of rape are also illegal as well. Sorry, abortions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the Catholic Church still has a huge, a huge bearing in society that is increasingly changing. Um, it is increasingly modernizing, and there is a whole generation of um, artists and young people who, I mean, in no small part to do with the economic crash in 2008, people haven't had the luxury to emigrate as much. So we do have a young, diverse population, and we are standing up to the, the shackles of the patriarchal Catholic Church, which is really important, and we really do feel a part of something massive. The movement is huge now. Um, but it's been about for decades, but now we have the momentum and we have the power of social media, we have the power of bodies on the ground to really, really affect that change. So it's a very exciting time to be a part of the movement. And what we also have now that we probably didn't have before is that since the gay marriage referendum, it's once again now politicised the youth, it's politicised student movements, and it has given the Irish youth, it's given their voice back in politics, which uh, hadn't been seen for a very long time. And what do you think the special set of circumstances are surrounding the conservative nature of uh, Irish attitudes towards things like this? What's so special about Ireland? Obviously, there's the Catholicism there, but is there anything else as well? Yeah, I think the legacy of colonialism has had a massive impact on uh, the conservatism of the Irish nation, both north and south. After the Civil War in 1922, uh, we returned a very Catholic, conservative government. And that was a real shame because from... The pre-rising, we did a Dublin lockout right up until the Civil War. Women played a massive role in society. But it was after the brutality and loss and suffering as a result of um, the bitter end to Britain leaving 26 of the 32 counties really did have an impact. And, you know, we elected the first ever um, woman MP. She obviously didn't take her seat because she didn't recognise Westminster, uh, Constance Markievicz. We have a strong and proud tradition of women playing a, a very big role in society. But, as I say, at the establishment of the Irish state with De Valera, that was a very Catholic, very controlling and very conservative state. And, you know, in, in the north of Ireland, you mentioned in your uh, introduction, Chris, uh, it's only Ireland and Malta, actually, the region of the north of Ireland it's also illegal and lots of people I think tend to think that abortion is legal in the UK but the reality is that again as a result of civil war and conflict we have a very conservative society up there where religion plays a huge part where we have a major party that blames global warming on LGBT communities and you know it really is a different world and I think it was only after the general election in 2016 where the DUP entered into talks with the Conservative Party that people actually realised the extent to which the right wing kind of uh, policies that we do face. Mm, yeah absolutely because I mean well abortion was legalised here in England certainly in 1967 I think it would probably shock a few people to realise that it isn't legal in every part of the UK. Absolutely. And um, health was devolved under the Good Friday Agreement to the Stormont government. Um, but the one thing that the Catholic and Protestant majority parties all agree on is that abortion should be illegal. Um, the SDLP, uh, a couple of years ago, elected a very young uh, so-called progressive leader. Um, but he told the party whip that even in the cases of rape and fetal fetal abnormalities, that there would be no leeway, no give on progressing those laws or even in bringing any kind of reform so it is a shame but uh, we are here to talk about repeal day so it is just important to acknowledge that the north is a very very 
uh, different. Um, we're, we're, we're asking for non-criminalisation, but obviously the struggle uh, with repeal dates has brought a massive amount of solidarity where you have Protestants and Catholics and non-religious people over the border every day campaigning and canvassing on this issue because it is so fundamental and it does disproportionately affect working class people. It does disproportionately affect refugees and asylum seekers and that's something that regardless of our the failure of the power structures to represent us, you know, we're on the streets making that change together and showing that solidarity is cross-border. It'd be good to talk more about the campaign and all the positive sides of that in a little bit, but just to circle back currently to, to the situation as it stands now, what are the current avenues for women in Ireland seeking an abortion? Obviously, we've mentioned travel to the UK as one option for those that can afford it. What are the numbers on that and what are the other options as well? I think we just checked it earlier today. It's nine people. Twelve. Twelve. Uh, 12 people a day travelling to Britain for an abortion. Uh, Other avenues, there aren't any, I suppose, other legal avenues available to them. The other avenues can be they can buy abortion pills online or they can illegally have an abortion in Ireland. If people are listening and you find yourself in a pregnancy, please do check out womanhelpwoman.org and they will be able to send you pills as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean... We are able to, through our networks, and not legally, um, provide these pills that come very, very freely on the NHS. You know, these pills are for up to nine weeks. It's basically a prolonged morning after pill. Um, but if you're caught not only taking these, but helping someone get them, you can face up to 14 years in prison just for doing that as well. So it really, and people are being prosecuted. This isn't just a, a scare tactic. This is a reality that we're seeing. But what it has been able to do is it is so expensive for people to raise money for flights and accommodation that this has actually been a massive lifeline for those who are most vulnerable. But the stigma and shame of having to do that by yourself is huge and we can't take away from that as well. Like People are making very difficult choices without any support and if they ask for support they face prison and that's the reality of it. So obviously the vote's happening on the 25th of May but this hasn't just sprung up out of nowhere. So how long has the campaign in whatever form been kind of present for the campaign to change abortion law in Ireland? The modern campaign I think has been 11 years. I think it was the first annual first annual rally for choice. I think it was 11 maybe 12 years ago. So since then it's just been it's been a slow movement that's been slowly building up to the actual current movement that we see today. Yeah, I mean Alliance for Choice, the organization I'm with was set up in the 90s and far before it was popular or long before wearing a repeal um, jumper was something that wouldn't get you um, ostracised or kicked out of a, a shop or a bar. You had people on the ground on the movement really building up solidarity and demanding this as, a, as an All-Ireland issue but also as a fundamental human right. Certainly that was a real cornerstone and um, the movement of the 90s but before that you know we know since the 1960s whenever it was granted in Great Britain um, that movements did exist but you also had at that time that was just before the onset of the Troubles there was a huge ma- amount of social and political upheaval in Ireland and people who were campaigning on this were told at the time actually that this is a struggle that we can't take on right now because of the oppressive state, etc., etc. But that's kind of, we, we now have the space to make the argument that the Irish states, North and South, and the Catholic and Protestant churches, and indeed the British states, um, are clearly not fit to govern us uh, whenever we have to take boats across the water and fly across the water and um, deal with this alone without support. We've touched very briefly on like what might be described as the decline in the power and influence of the Catholic Church. How much is that overstated or understated? Well, it's, I suppose institutionally, it's it's definitely been dwindling. But um, 
like through its funding, it, it gets huge, huge international backing from, I suppose, from religious organisations and really far, really deep Catholic organisations who basically see Ireland as the last, the last hope for their ideals that they don't want to change. Um, so the annual Rally for Life, which happens in Dublin, they get huge numbers, but only because it's funded. They actually fly in an insane amount of people from the around the, from around the world to actually come in to do it. And if you actually look at the the demographic of the people marching in the Rally for Life, none of them are even actually able to even have an abortion. It's either like it's it's either young children or it's all women who are supposed past that point. Um, I also think um, what the debate has shown as well is um, abortions happen regardless of whether or not they're legal and we know that people have always had abortions and what I find really interesting is whenever I was in Donegal two weeks ago doing some canvassing for Appeal the 8th you know I might have had some assumptions about a generational divide but I was very pleasantly surprised about the amazing feedback that I got from people who were much older and who definitely couldn't in the 60s and 70s fly over to England for an abortion and ended up having seven, eight, nine children. And it was these people coming up to me saying, I don't want anybody to have to go through what I went through. And that, in a way, was really reassuring because I don't necessarily think it is just a generational divide now. I think enough people have lived through the suffering and forced pregnancies that they actually see, despite the scare tactics of the No campaign, that this is something that everybody has a stake in. Do you have any connections or solidarity with the movements going on in Poland at all? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in fact, around the same time, uh, what was it, a year ago, whenever International Women's Day was, the Polish uh, organisation stood with us at the Irish Embassy and we stood with them at the Polish Embassy. Right. I mean, hugely inspirational, the movement there. But yeah, absolutely lots of solidarity. We've had um, delegates go over to Ireland and speak and we've sent delegates over to Poland. But it really is that kind of international solidarity. Like you mess with you mess with us somewhere, you mess with us everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and we will fight back and they did and they were hugely successful in resisting that change. And it really is an inspiration for us in our struggle as well. It's interesting that there are groups over here sort of in London and elsewhere campaigning on this issue because it clearly affects so many people. But um, who is actually eligible to vote in the upcoming referendum? Um, so any citizen in Ireland um, I, because I'm an Irish citizen but I'm I don't live there so like, like, yeah <laughs> yeah. okay so you'd, uh, you'd have to be an Irish citizen um, you'd have to be registered to vote you'd have had to had an address in Ireland in the last 18 months and if you're listening to this after the 8th of May I hope you've registered to vote if you're eligible <laughs> if you can travel home to vote you've actually missed the postal vote the day for postal vote has passed so if you want to vote in the referendum you'll actually have to travel back that is an interesting thing for the equal marriage referendum. Um, Ryanair did a massive cheap sale for people to fly home in order to vote for equal marriage. I noticed that that's very absent yeah. uh, for this campaign. And, you know, we, we see these campaigns as not exactly similar, but they are both against the oppressive state and asking the state to let us make up our own minds about our bodies and our personal lives. But I think that there is still a lot of stigma around uh, reproductive rights. And I think that's why we see, you know, Ryanair not putting their um, hat in the ring, um, which is a shame because I know that if money is an issue uh, for people to fly home, there is an organisation set up called Abroad for Yes. Abroad for Yes. Um, so if you do need help to fly home to vote, then please Google them and get in touch with them. You, I'm sure they'd be happy to help. You can get, you can get in contact. It's a big open public forum where they can throw a big GoFundMe link on it, and then so people on the group can be sponsors and they'll help you fly home. The equal marriage vote, and that was in 2015, wasn't it? 
do you think there's more resistance to questions over reproductive rights than there has been to that question? Perhaps given Ireland's reputation as a socially conservative country, that result was very encouraging. Yet is that, is that a good indication of what we might expect on the 25th or how different are the two issues? It can be hard. It can be hard because uh, they are two very different issues to draw comparisons. You don't know what people's stances would be in terms of how they would view gay marriage to how they would view abortion. So in that regard, it could be difficult. But um, I suppose the feeling currently in Ireland at the minute is that there is this, since the marriage referendum, there has been a huge political shift in the youth to actively engage in politics and to actively engage in the vote. So I would look on it very positively, uh, especially a lot of people who, like my own mother, for example, would have seen firsthand the institutional structures that were put in place by the Catholic Church that bet down women. Like she is, so she is very pro-choice just because she wants to, she wants Ireland to lose basically the last grip of it. Yeah, and I, I just I just want to share Lewis's optimism as well. I think, you know, we have a hugely positive campaign and we really are up against it. But every time Ireland has been given the opportunity to liberalise or reform anything like this, we do tend to make those decisions. This is obviously a massive step. And because the legislation still isn't 100% clear, there's some guidelines. I think there are some people who are confused. But our friend Eva, who's an activist and playwright, uh, her play Maz and Bricks about abortion is on the road in Ireland. She's halfway through Irish tour. And her feedback is that the response has been incredible. And people are finally waking up to the reality that like buying polls online is it's just not not the answer is shipping people off like that even if you're morally against abortion don't have one you're, it's your ethical duty to ensure that people are safe and protected if they do decide to have one and I think that that is something that people are finally realising and the new campaign I mean they're sabotaging themselves uh, they're using horrible scare tactics you know they say they care about the sanctity of life but you know where is that support once a child is born we have yet to see any evidence of um, that actually being put into place and we, we just want people to have that choice and to make uh, fully informed decisions and not feel pressured either way but especially with the stigma and shame that goes along with that. You mentioned the scare tactics of the No campaign a few times. Do you want to detail a bit more about what they've been doing? Yeah, so uh, first off their, their poster campaign. I'm not sure how it is in Britain but in Ireland so you're allowed to spread misinformation. No, you're not allowed to do that here, right? No. <laughs> in, in in Ireland, there's no current um, there's no currently stopping uh, when you're canvassing the spread of misinformation. For example, one of the posters is that they actually look to statistics in Britain. So where they say in Britain, one in five babies are aborted, which actually isn't true. Um, they would also say there's a there's a poster up that says if abortion at six months makes you uncomfortable, then vote no. But that's misinformation because the current legislation that will be put in place that the Minister of Health um, in Ireland has come out with says that there would be unrestricted access to abortion only up until 12 weeks. And then after that, it would only be then in rare instances where there was um, danger to life of the mother or for fatal fetal abnormalities. So these are the kind of scare tactics that we're looking at and how they're trying to target people on the fence, but in scaring them. So that's uh, one way they're spreading misinformation. Um, another way is there was a live debate on the Late Late Show, uh, which is uh, Ireland's longest running debate it's an show. an Irish institution. Right. <laughs> <laughs> if you looked at the people who debated on the on the pro-choice side, you had the former head of the maternity ward uh, for the hospital in Hall Street, and then you had another general practitioner who were talking about the, the active implications of the Eighth Amendment has on the health of women in Ireland. 
as opposed to the anti-choice side who had a journalist who was obviously very opinionated but didn't actually offer anything up solid and then just a, a general spokesperson for the Love Bow campaign. I think when you actually can really get informed and you can see, you can actually see the frailties and the arguments mm-hmm. from the anti-choice mm-hmm. side really easily. And how do you guys and your activist movements like uh, fight that kind of misinformation? How do you deal with the campaign in general? How, what do you do from a day-to-day basis? I mean, this is a this is a positive campaign that is fueled by empathy and love for human life, and love for and care for women and pregnant people, and wanting them to make the most informed decisions. Obviously, at the minute we're thrust under kind of canvassing and campaigning mode, be that in London, Dublin, or, or across the island of Ireland. Um, there's huge pockets uh, of society that are not being reached, that have never been reached before. You know, there are stalls in every county in the Republic um, campaigning for yes. And we're just trying to reach people on a human level. We know uh, in Britain that 92% of abortions happen before 13 weeks because they're able to make that decision. And, you know, there isn't the stress and trauma and waiting for saving money or whatever. Um, we do also know that abortions do um, happen outside of that time and that that's very rare. And whenever it does happen, it's never lightly and it's never without a lot of thought and care. But I think the best way that we can reach people is by you know sharing our own stories. In 2016, I wrote for a national paper about my abortion to give people then confidence to talk about it. And you know, all of a sudden, everybody is coming out with their abortion story. And I think normalizing it and realizing, you know, you know, we make decisions and we don't have to stigmatize it anymore. I think that that's been a big part of educating people. I mean, I know with my own family, they might have been on the fence about choice, but when I came to them with my decision, they wholeheartedly supported me. So although they wouldn't have had abortions, they supported my choice to do so, which is incredible because people then realise you can have your, your moral objections, but if you want to support and love your family and friends and the people you care about, then you do that in an environment where they're medically secure and protected. I think that ties into what Lewis was saying about the people who come out on the no campaigns are generally people who don't have any connection to people who might need abortions. So, yeah, it's very kind of messed up in that kind of way for sure. And there is a sinister um, element beyond that as well where they will find someone who has had an abortion and exceptionalise them and, oh, look how much I regretted this line from my mistakes. And then, you know, Ireland is a, is a <laughs> reactionary country and... There are a lot of people who I know who have regretted it, but regretted it because of the stigma that they faced rather than the actual act of doing it. They regretted letting their family down. They regretted letting society down. But actually, that that's cultural and we can change that culture by saying it's OK that you did that and it's OK that you didn't. We're here for you either way. We're not just campaigning for reproductive rights. We're campaigning for better childcare. We're campaigning for better maintenance. We're campaigning for a society that looks after people who choose to have families and people who choose not to. And that's a part of the broader argument as well. Mm. In the course of your campaigning, is there a sense that this is a sort of women's issue, quote unquote? How easy or difficult has it been to engage men in this question? I suppose I can't speak for all of Ireland, I just know from personal examples. Uh, there actually is a really big campaign in Ireland at the minute called Men for Appeal, who I suppose it's to get men talking because what we found sometimes that men will stay quiet on the issue, even though they may be voting yes, they feel that, oh, this is a women's issue, we'll, we'll let the women talk about it, and then they'll actively disengage from the conversation, which is totally reductive to the whole campaign. So the launch of Men for Appeal was really, really uh, hugely welcomed. There's an independent cafe in Dublin as well called Bang Bang. They run uh, weekly events where they have representatives from Doctors for Choice, the Together for Yes in the campaign, specifically based around getting men 
to talk and I suppose to support the campaign. Yeah, and we've had lots of um, GAA sports people coming out, and I mean that's hugely. I mean that that in itself is huge. You know, GAA is traditionally quite rural and Catholic and provincial. I'm going to get lots of abuse from GAA fans <laughs> and players for this, but it, it's absolutely enormous. It's huge to have these players come out and say, "No, no, we support you. We're going to vote yes." The influence that they will have on the people that look up to them is massive. And so we have Killian Murphy, the the babe from Peaky Blinders, on our side. Yeah, and um, and I think it's it's absolutely great that these people are putting their neck out. I, I people need to see that this is this is absolutely a huge, huge, huge phenomenon. It's a landmark referendum, and it's our chance to change our society. And if we pass this, there's a huge amount that we can change as well, culturally and at a society level. If this if this passes, and we hope it will. But um, the men for yes, absolutely great to have them on board. But um. First and foremost, we think of those women and pregnant people who are still making that journey today, who since we started talking, you know, two have already been on a plane. And that's something that we, we need to remember. That's why we're doing it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. What will be the impact, either legally or just in terms of the momentum in the north of Ireland, if there is a, a yes vote? I mean, it's a great question. I wish I knew the answer to it. I think... It's an embarrassment for Britain and, you know, it's an embarrassment for the government of Stormont and something has to give. Uh, it has always been the case where even in the North, we were seen up until fairly recently as more socially progressive in some issues. But after the referendum, particularly over equal marriage, that's proven to kind of be the inverse. In the North, we still don't have equal marriage, so people just jump across the border to get married. But it's more than just what the law enshrines. It's also got to do with that very conservative social and kind of cultural environment that the North still exists in. Yeah, absolutely, something's got to change. Um, I think that so-called moderate parties like um, the SDLP are proving themselves not to be good enough because they didn't stick their neck out on reproductive rights and lost all of their MP seats. And that's hard for a lot of people who grew up with the Party of Civil Rights, but I don't think you can call yourself a Party of Civil Rights if you send people to that fate. I think that Sinn Féin um, have got themselves in quite a pickle because in the South they're backing yes, but in the North are saying absolutely we're not a party of choice. I think the contradictions of the absurdity of the state of Northern Ireland are really proving themselves to, to be real and... I hope that this opportunity really unites um, our people to see that maybe these dated institutions aren't good enough to represent us and maybe we do need to imagine something better. And that's certainly something that I'm I'm passionate about, that this isn't a single issue. This is absolutely about the oppressive structures and the legacy of colonialism and what that's had in, on the people there. And we deserve better. I mean, just carrying on from that, if everything goes well, there's a yes vote on the 25th. What happens then for the campaign, for the, I guess, the structures that have been built up? What would you like to see happen next? So I think what living in England has taught me, I've lived in England for 12 years, and what living here has taught me is that just because you have it doesn't mean you don't have to defend it. I have been outside clinics in England where women have been abused, where women have been shouted at. You know, the movement, whenever the law passes, isn't going to mean anything uh, this is something we have to defend and this is something that unfortunately we will always have to defend because there will always be people who seek to intimidate and who seek to scare and who seek to force their agenda and we need to just maintain that both mentally and physical safety that people deserve whenever they make a decision like this 
it's it's hard to celebrate something that like it's so monumental. I don't think celebrate's necessarily the right word, but the relief and pressure that will be taken off the majority of people will be enormous and it will be a cause of pausing and reflecting on a massive achievement. But for sure, uh these structures, you know, we we're with Poland, we're with the North of Ireland, we're with Malta, we're with, you know, those in America. I know that Trump, if he could, would pick the legislation out of Ireland and put it into America if he could. Um, this struggle will be a struggle we always have to face together, but we'll do it in unity and um, hopefully successfully. I suppose just to say, um, uh, currently over the next couple of months all across Ireland, there will be lots of uh, new theatre work, there will be lots of uh, poetry, there's lots of art events that will be going on around the country as fundraisers for Together for a Yes to support their campaign. Like For example, which I thought was amazing, the Together for a Yes, they released a crowdfunding campaign and just to so they could get posters up around the country. They raised nearly six hundred grand in only a couple of days. Mm-hmm. So I think that shows the huge support that they do have behind them. But they do need more support from everyone for whatever they can do. Uh culturally you can support, financially you can support and vocally you can support. So I would say that. Where do people go to find out information about the cultural events? Uh, well, Dublin's pretty small. I mean, you can just you can go to any theatre. So I suppose you could follow the you could follow the repeal groups online, um, like they'll consistently be putting up uh, information about events that are happening um, around the country. Yeah, I just if anybody listening um, does find themselves with any free time, um, as I say, uh, together for yes or in every county in the Republic or canvassing, or even if you're up in the north, I myself will be driving from Derry to Donegal every day. Uh, if you find yourself uh, with time, please come and support. The movement is beautiful, the movement is essential, and we're really grateful for all your support. Thank you. It's pretty much been covered by everything that you've said, but just to make it abundantly clear, why should people vote yes uh, on the 25th, if they have the opportunity. Yeah, I just think that um, voting yes is an opportunity um, for us to trust each other and to give that choice to ourselves and to ensure better and safer care physically and mentally for the people who need it. No more stress, no more shame, no more financial burden, no more forced treatment and no more stigma because we deserve an Ireland that we can all be proud of. Mm. Uh, and I would also say that I think a, a vote for yes is a vote for facing the reality of which Ireland is currently going through and the women and people who can have pregnancies in Ireland are going through. A vote for yes is to face the reality of that and a vote for no is is just turning a blind eye to everything and just kind of trying to cover it up. I was talking to a lecturer in my old college the other day. He's pretty old and he said to me, what really annoys him is that in his lifetime there is a chance that he might not see the Eighth Amendment removed. But what really annoys him is that he knows that it will if it doesn't happen now, it's eventually. And a vote for no is just kicking the can down the road. Well, uh, Maeve and Lewis, thanks so much for coming on the show. I think it's been a really interesting discussion. Uh, you've been listening to Radicals in Conversation. We will be back next month, so tune in again then. Thank you. Thank you.